So, welcome to the first in-person interview with the uh, the investor frame. I'm here with Justin Bourne. Um, he's a real estate investor here in the, the Denver market with me. We actually met recently. Uh, we've got very similar businesses. We both kind of have similar backgrounds, got into real estate investing here in the last couple of years. And so, I'm really excited to, to have you in and have you here in the basement, man. Yeah, thanks for having me here. I'm excited as well. This is like... It's not my first podcast, my first real estate podcast, so nice. it's going to be cool. Yeah, uh, I did my first one just a few months back, and you know it just gets easier and easier every time you do it. So. Yeah. All right, so um, like I said, we both have been, you know, got into to real estate fairly recently. What, what was, how did you get into real estate? What were you doing before all this? Tell me a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I was a CPA for six years. Um, but kind of the thing with real estate is like, I had always wanted to get into real estate pretty much my whole life. Um, and like I, through my track of life, I feel like every time I ran into a very successful, very wealthy person, they had their hand in real estate somehow. Right. And I noticed a trend there and I was mm-hmm. like, okay, there's definitely something to this. Right. And everybody's like, you know, you can build wealth through real estate. And like, I've ne- also never met a real estate investor who has said, I wish I would have waited to get into real estate. Everybody's like, I wish I would have started sooner, right? Yep. So yeah, so CPA for six years. Um, I bought my first rental property in 2019. Started right here in Colorado? Yep, here in Denver. Started house hacking it. I cash flowed on it. My mortgage was paid for. I was like, this is super cool, right? Yeah. Um, I never enjoyed being a CPA. Uh, even more so than that, I, I just hated working for someone cause I knew I was making them money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that like, you're not going to really build wealth by making somebody else money. Right. Like you got to get out on your own and do it. So I, my whole life I knew I was going to own my own business. I didn't know in what capacity. Um, so yeah, so in 2021, I was supposed to take a month leave of absence at work and like I was slacking off, like I was not doing a great job. Um, and I joined Ryan Pineda's future flipper program. Um, cause I was like, I'm going to, you know, I'd built up a bunch of cash cause I was planning on buying another rental property and I was like, maybe I should try flipping houses, like do something different. Right. Cause that's the beautiful thing about real estate. There's so many avenues you can mm-hmm. take. Um, so I ended up getting fired from my job. Um, and I was like, okay, like I got a nice little nest egg. Is that cause you were working on real estate all the time? No, I was thinking about real estate all the time. Right. Like <laughs> every waking hour yeah. that I was being an accountant, I was thinking, what can I do to get out of this? And uh-huh. like, when can I start? Right. Mm-hmm. So honestly, me getting fired was maybe one of the best things that's ever happened to me because I would have had one foot in the door with real estate and I would have had one foot in the door with accounting and I would have, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, half-assed both of them. Yeah. Um, so getting pushed out, like helped me. Um, so then I was like, okay, like I have some money saved up. I have a, you know, I live for free basically other than food and gas. Um, let's try this thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I bought my first flip um, in October, uh, and then we sold it in April. We did really well on it, um, and then now looking back, it was a little bit of a mistake. But like after that, I went to Ryan's mastermind. I was surrounded by like all of these like very successful flippers, like doing really well, and I was like, okay. I need to buy a lot more. That FOMO starts kicking. Exactly. In. I was like, I set a goal of like, I want to do like a million dollars in flips this year and I want to do 10 properties, right? Mm-hmm. Which was ambitious, but like, it's good to be ambitious, right? If you're not setting uncomfortable goals, you're not growing. Sure. Um, so yeah, so I bought four more um, and let's see, I'd say three of them went well, two of them didn't go well. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the market, but like we were talking last night at, at a leader, so like I, I read uh, Jocko Willink's book, uh, Extreme Ownership, right? And I like really felt like a lot of, um, I don't know, con- not congruency, but I like association with a lot of the, the teachings they had in that book. Um, and the biggest thing is like, as a leader, if you fail, if anybody below you fail, if a project fails below you, it's like, ultimately like your fault right so i could blame the market i could blame a million other things but ultimately like i just i don't think i managed my projects well because i went from crawling to running Mm -hmm. um but yeah so then in june i kind of realized the market was shifting um and i was like okay we need to shift with it um i don't think flipping is going to be a great avenue with a market that's going down um, so we joined another program and started wholesaling. Mm-hmm. Um, and we closed our first wholesale a couple weeks ago. 
um, went really well, and that's kind of what we're focused on now. Congrats. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, I want to back up a little bit because you, you and I did this pretty much the same thing, which is we bought a house and then started house hacking it. Uh, I didn't know what house hacking was when I started doing that. I was just like, I need to buy a house because I'm tired of paying rent. Um, then, of course, I found bigger pockets and I right. found that whole rabbit hole, and here we are today. But um, tell me a little bit about that deal. You got into house hacking for those that aren't, aren't familiar with the Denver area. You know, maybe this doesn't apply, but what part of town were you in? Where did you find that deal? How did that work? Yeah. Um, so, that deal, I basically had some friends, one of my good buddies, uh, Walker Noon, he's a real estate agent in Denver. Um, him and his wife bought a house, and he joined this, uh, I guess, brokerage that they, like, specialized, or they, like, big in, in house hacking. So they kind of told me about it. They're like, hey, you know, you can you can buy a house and rent out the rooms, and it's free. And I was like, that sounds like a sweet deal. Um, so I started looking for houses. Um, it took me a little while. I went through a couple different realtors, and Walker ended up being my real estate agent. Um, but his, his whole team had, like, a very detailed... Uh, spreadsheet for like analyzing the deals mm-hmm. um, so I got really good at like deal analysis mm-hmm. right which I had never like I had done analysis as a CPA but I had never done like I've never analyzed like a house right yeah and so like it just kind of became second nature um, you know through, I mean I probably analyzed like 50 different houses right um, so yeah so we identified this property it's in Glendale uh, it's a five bed or no four bed three bath um, yeah, and we got a pretty good deal on it. Um, did you do the 5% down? Low yeah. Rate kind of thing? Yeah. I think yeah. it was, I think it was 3% down. I locked in like a 2.7 interest rate. Woo! Yeah. Right. <laughs> the good old days. Yeah. Flip those numbers around now is what uh-huh, we're sitting at. Um, but yeah, no, it ended up like working out super well. Um, and it's like a great asset for me now. Is that where like, you still live? Yep. Yep. Still living there now. Um, we're actually, our last roommate is moving out, uh, tomorrow. Nice. Which is great because now, you know, myself and my girlfriend Savannah live there. Yep, ready to be on our own. Perfect. <laughs> I, I mean, that's that's what prevented me from uh, doing what you did with putting a bunch of roommates in there. Because my girlfriend at the time was like, "Uh, uh-uh, yeah, we're not doing that. I'll move in, mm-hmm. but we're not going to stick a bunch of you know tenants in there." So I think that a lot of people get hung up on you know house hacking because Bigger Pockets describes it as like. Well, you got to be able to cover your entire mortgage in cash flow. It sounds like you were able to do that. I didn't do that. Well, I just, you know, I got half of my mortgage covered. Which is better than nothing. Which is better than nothing. Yeah. But everybody gets hung up on like, well, it's got to be a perfect deal. It's got to be, it's not, how much is it cash flow? And it's like, well, I didn't look at it like that because I just, I needed a place to live. I was tired of paying a landlord rent, basically, not gaining equity. And I bought my first house in 2018 and... I mean, we're in an appreciating market. Denver is not exactly a cash flow market. Yep. It cash flows when you got five bedrooms and you can stick a bunch of people in there, but that doesn't work for everybody. No. Right? And so for for a lot of the people who are getting into real estate, that was one thing that I found that that held a lot of people up was just like it's got to be a perfect deal for your first deal. Yeah. I I think I had that uh that mindset when I first started. And then um, I was actually listening to Bigger Pockets, um, and I remember like having like analysis paralysis. Right, mm-hmm. everybody talks about it, and I was just getting hung up on like I'm not going to make money on this, blah 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 blah. And then I actually I was actually on Bigger Pockets as like they did like a zoom in where you could ask questions, and I asked I think it was either Brandon or David um, about like this whole analysis paralysis thing, and he was like, dude. The way to make money in real estate is hit a bunch of base hits. Yeah. Like get on first or second base. And you'll hit some grand slams, but it doesn't happen that often, right? Right. But if you hit 10, 20, 30 base hits, you're you're making around the bases eventually, right? So that was like really key for me because I was like, okay, maybe I'm not gonna make a bunch of money on this house, but I'm if I'm paying rent, I'm paying rent to myself, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm I'm buying into this house. And if I'm paying less than I would normally pay you know, somebody else, like a landlord, then it's a win, yeah. right? So I think you just have to change your perspective a little bit. 
at the beginning, it's not about hitting a home run. It's about learning. Yeah. It's about you can't get to the second deal unless you've done the first deal. You, you can't get start. to the third deal until you've got your second deal. Yep. And it's like, we'll probably talk about this at a certain point, but, I mean, we've gotten our teeth kicked in <laughs> <Yeah>. from, <laughs> from real estate. It's not – it's not – it's about um, forward progress, yep. right? And you can't move forward unless you actually start acting. And so – you know, that's, a, that's what I've found that keeps most people from, from moving forward is like, well, it only has four bedrooms and I need five. And I'm like, what? Who cares? Who cares? Yeah. You just need to start moving forward because yeah. you can't get to the second deal unless you've done your first deal. Yeah. So you did, a, you did a house hack that sounds like, you know, super low interest rate, low down payment. Um, and at the same time, you had this cash flow and you got let go from your job. And so then you found your way into flipping because you joined, um, you know, a mastermind. And I'm a big fan of masterminds as well because you can just shortcut the information. Ryan and the Future Flipper program, that's amazing. Um, I never went that route because I never wanted to do flips at that scale. But tell me about that group and how joining a mastermind to help kind of you know, teach you these things. How did, how did that work? How did that help you? So... I think it just gave you the gave me the blueprint for like doing it right. Sure. Like it showed me how to analyze deals. It gave me a network of people to reach out to. Like if I had problems, um, it gave me a network to you know like find money. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, and like actually last night when we were at that meetup, um, we were talking to a guy who's like house hacking right, and he was asking us like, "How did you guys find realtors? How did you find this?" And like. As entrepreneurs, especially in real estate, it's like second nature of like we networked. Right. That's what you do. Relationships. Right? Relationship is like the name of the game. Yeah. But like when I started, you know, with this future flipper program, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is easy. I just need to go meet people. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's that's where the mastermind helped to me. It was like one, you know, obviously it gave me the tools, right? Of of like Here's a, an analysis spreadsheet. Here's how you do deal analysis. Here's how you source your deals, right? Yeah. But more than that, it was like, go meet people. Like, go talk to as many, like, private money lenders, hard money lenders. Go talk to wholesalers, right? So I just started talking to people and fostering these relationships. And eventually, I found a deal, right? And I didn't have money for it, but a guy in the flipping program did, and we partnered on it. And we did really well. Beautiful. And so, like, you know, I... I I paid like ten, fifteen thousand dollars for this mastermind, and we made one hundred and sixty on the first deal, right? That's a nice first deal. Yeah, so I was like, okay, it yeah. definitely paid for itself. Well, and we we hear this. How do I find a realtor? How do I find private lenders? And and I understand the question because if you're trying to do it on your own, you don't know where to look, and it's like, oh, just go make relationships. And so what people do is they just go to the same meetup over and over and over and over and over again, and they talk to the same people, and then they're like, well, that didn't work for me. It's like, in what world do you not have to pay to play? Yeah. Right? Real estate is no different. If you want the shortcut, join a mastermind with other people. Yep. I mean, I'm in in multiple of them. I've been in in probably five or six, right, that I've paid a lot of money to, to learn from people and to get around people who are already doing this. It's a hack. It's a shortcut. Yep. If you want to get into real estate, it, it all comes down to people and relationships. Now, you can, you can go to every single you know, networking event in your city, or you can go join a mastermind that pulls people from all around the country and get a much different perspective. Yep. You know, that, that sounds like it's what worked for you. Absolutely. And it's worked for, like, almost everybody I know. Right. Right? I mean, like you're like you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with right? right if you surround yourself with 50 or 100 people that are all doing better than you you're going to get pulled up mm-hmm. right so and and I joined a second mastermind because I knew that I wanted to wholesale and these guys were you know doing 10 20 deals a month wholesaling Is that and they, Clint's team that's Clint's team yeah cool. um and they started mastermind and honestly like we were broke <laughs> I mean, we were tight, right? And I was like, we got to figure this out Mm -hmm. because the market is shifting and we need to shift with it. And so, like, we figured it out and then we got our first deal and I was like, okay, another mastermind paid for itself. Mm -hmm. They they always seem to, right, as long as you join a good one. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I I would highly recommend anybody who's getting into real estate, one, start. Like, just start doing it, right? 
like, even if you get into a bad deal at first, like, you'll figure it out, right? Like, if you have the gumption to do it, you're going to have the grit to get through a bad deal, mm-hmm. and you're going to make it happen. And then, two, like, find a mentor. Yeah. And, like, mentorship is not necessarily going to someone and be like, hey, I'd love to, like, buy you coffee. Like, we don't have time for that, right? Like, I have people be like, hey, can, you know, can I buy you coffee? I'm like... It, my time is worth more than a $5 coffee. Right. No offense, right? Yeah, no offense, but that's just the reality. Yeah, yeah like bring me value, right? Yeah. So we recently, the guy that we sold our deal to, uh, Terrence Doyle, he's a big uh, investor here in Denver. He does a lot of multifamily um, here and in Des Moines. Um, so he bought our, our most recent wholesale, and he invited us into his office, um, and you know I didn't know what we were going to talk about, and his only thing was he was like, hey, I want to know, like, what I can do to help you, which to me, a guy who has like lend like people who are giving him money, like Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan, that is very cool that he took an hour out of his day to like ask me for help. Right. But instead of asking for help, I said, tell me what you need right now. Like what kind of houses are you looking for? And instead of like me being like, Oh, like I'm trying to do this, that, and the other, it's like, I want to help you. Mm -hmm. And then maybe down the road I'll ask for help, but like, I need to provide you value. Um, I think Gary V says like, give, 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 then ask. Right. And that's what I try to do. Yeah. Cause I, it can be annoying if you're just always taking from people, you know, you need to offer value where you can. Yeah. I met a, a guy through one of my partners, uh, Nick Peterson. He, he's connected me with a guy named Joe Polish and Joe is a pretty big marketer. And I got to go meet Joe last week at an event he had here in Denver and Joe's got a book coming out. And the title of the book is "What's in it for them," yeah, right. And the point is, it's it's sort of like an updated version of how to win friends and influence people, which I'm sure you've read yeah. or looked through at a certain point. And you know, a lot of people make the mistake of approaching mentors or partnerships or even masterminds. They're going in and they're they're trying to take. But what I've observed, and it took me a little while to to get this, you know, because that's sort of the default for a lot of us is like, well, how do I, what can I get out of this? But what I've found as I've gotten, you know, more experience in this, in this business and is your status and your influence in a group like that is, is elevated significantly when you just think what's in it for them, what's in it for the rest of these people, right? And instead of saying, can I take you to coffee and buy you a $5 coffee or tell me what I can do to help you, right? I get that question all the time and I'm sort of like, so you want me to take time out of my day to like tell you what you can do to help me. Why don't you just be an intuitive person, spend time in my world, observe what, what I find valuable and then go add value in that way. So it, it forces people, you know, it's kind of like, um, deflecting the responsibility when someone says, Hey, tell me what I can do to help you. And I'm kind of like, figure it out. (laughs) You're just, you are not even like close to taking the time to think through that. Right. So for, for those people that are new to investing, that are trying to get into investing, everybody wants something. I'm in business now with a couple guys who are just outstanding construction partners, outstanding. Right. I met them because I bought a house from them. Uh, bought a brand new townhouse and I was like, this is an amazing, amazing product that you guys have here. And of course my first gut was, is like, well, how do I get into business with these guys? What I didn't do is go up and be like, Hey, can I get into business with you? Cause like, what do you have to bring? This actually started me down my journey of, well, what do they need? They need capital and they need deal flow. Now they have a lot of deal flow themselves, but they need more capital. How do I do that? Right? So I started marketing for off market deals and through that process, we started doing deals. Now, I've never sold them a deal because they have better, better ones, right? And I get them all over the place. The point was I added value to them by demonstrating that I can actually do something here, right? I'm not just going to be like, hey, how can I help? How can I help? I just recognized this is what could help these guys, raising capital, finding deals. And I was able to raise a couple million dollars to fund those deals. That's how I got into those deals with them. Yep. Not by asking them, what can I do? It's like, pick your head up, see the field, recognize what value is before you go opening your mouth. That's how I found success 
um, with getting into these types of partnerships is by recognizing what they need and not asking for it, but saying like, what's in it for them and just go do it. Um, so I find that, I find that interesting that we have that same sort of, you know, approach, yeah. right? It's like identify well, what, what's valuable for somebody and go get it for them. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about your business right now. What are you guys doing? Are you flipping? You're, you're, you said you're starting to do some wholesaling. Um, you know, and I know you, you and Savannah are working together. So tell me a little bit about your business. Yeah. Um, so we've, we're actually closing on our fourth flip uh, with the buyer today. Um, and then we have one more in Lafayette uh, that we're finishing probably in a couple of weeks. Um, you want another one in uh, Niwot or Niwot? How do you say that? No, no. <laughs> I'm I'm okay. Okay. Um, yeah, my appetite for flipping is kind of zero at the moment. Um, we share that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's all hands on deck with wholesaling. Um, so we kind of got our systems in place. I say we, Savannah, my COO and girlfriend. She's spectacular. Um, so I like hired her on in the spring. Cause I just needed help yeah. with the business. I didn't know in what capacity I didn't even know what she was going to do. Right. And then in June when we decided, okay, we're going to start wholesaling. I was like, I need you to figure this out. Right. So she's worked with Salesforce and done CRMs and all that stuff. So she set up our launch control. She set up our CRM. She did all like the back office stuff. Right. And she did it extremely well. And like, I hate stuff like that. And, and like to this day, you know, she'll do something. I'm like, that's amazing. Yeah. And she's like, you could have done it. And I was like, but I hate doing it. And it would have taken me three times as long. Can versus will is right. different. Exactly. Know? Will I do it? Probably not. Yeah. Can I do it? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, so we got all that set up. Uh, and we bought our first list, started texting, kind of started getting our processes down. And now we actually have like some some actual processes in place, right? And it's just her and I, right? So we've kind of like divided our roles, figured out who's doing what, and we got some, we got some flow going, um, which is good. Um, so we're actually getting another big list on Monday and we're going to hit the ground running with that. Um, so my focus right now is like finishing this last flip, getting it listed on the market and then getting it out of my head and being like completely focused on wholesaling. Um, and I think for the next six months, that's probably what we're going to do. Um, and the goal is, you know, we get, some consistency there so I can have like some, uh, I guess like figure out like what we're going to be seeing each month. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, some projections, um, like, okay, I know we're going to close on four, five, six, ten houses a month. Right. Yeah. So then I can be like, okay, well, here's my financial projection. And then we can start saying like, okay, this is how much money we're making from wholesaling. We're going to take half of that and put it back into marketing and then, you know, take a quarter of that and put it into hiring people, right? Because mm-hmm. the end goal is like, I don't want to be doing the calling all myself. And I don't want Savannah to be doing the texting all herself, right? I want to hire people that can do that. Then we can step away and we can do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think one of my favorite things about real estate is so there's so many avenues, there right? Is. You were talking about, uh, I think your podcast with Steve that I was listening to, when you start in your first year, you like pushed a bunch of buttons in real estate, right? Which I think is a unique way of thinking of it because there's a lot of buttons, mm-hmm. um, which is a blessing and a curse, right? It's a blessing because you can fail at one thing, go to the next thing and be wildly successful, but it's a curse because you can do one thing and see a little bit of a success and then you're like, well, I want to, I want to try this. I want to try that. And then you become a you know, master of none. That's true. Um, so yeah, I definitely suffer from shiny object syndrome. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, in the article you sent me about, uh, certainty talks, the play your own game. I, I have a saying that say, I say, run my, run your own race. I run ultra marathons. Like I'll go run around wash park, which is a park here in Denver. And like, there'll be somebody running faster than me. And like Mm -hmm. the competitive side of me is like, I'm going to beat your ass for sure. But then I burn out and I'm like, you're an idiot. You have like four more miles to go. Right. So I I have to tell myself, run my own race. And that applies to business too. Right. So much. And so like last night I was talking to one of the guys at the meetup and he does Airbnb arbitrage. And I was like, Oh, that sounds kind of cool. Like making some, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. (laughs) And then I was like, no, like wholesaling is our thing. That's what we're doing for the next six to 12 months. Yeah. And then when I can hire people and put people in place, then I can think about not actually do it, but think about doing something else. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but yeah, we just need to get, you know, systems in place and people in place that are doing it, doing the day-to-day stuff. And then eventually we can step out and, you know, check out the next avenue. Yeah. It's one of those things. Real estate has such a, there's so many reasons why it's hard to stay focused because there, not only are there tons of opportunities, but we're all, we're all shooting guards. Like I gave this basketball analogy the other day. It's like, well, a lot of us, we start this business and like, we're the scorer. We know how to put the ball in the basket. Give me the ball. I can score. That's what we're good at. We're salespeople. Right. And then you realize you're like, well, if I want to grow this team, I got to, I need a point guard. I need a center to go clean up the rebounds and I need probably need a coach who can tell me the things that I'm not seeing. And so oftentimes we make this mistake. I made this mistake of I was the be- I was the best shooting guard on our team. And then I immediately went out and hired another shooting guard. It was like you're taking yourself out of the the most value that you bring to that team, which is scoring. You're the sales guy. You know how to close deals. Why are you trying to hire that out and play coach? Because you've never played coach before. Yep. So that was the mistake that I made. And what I ended up doing was recognizing that and saying, okay, I need to find a point guard that can get me the ball. I need to find someone to get in there and get rebounds, right? Which is yep. follow up, yep. right? I'll go close the closable deals. I need someone to kick me those deals. So I don't spend all my time on the phone cold calling and texting and grinding it out on that side of things. I want to be closing deals. Um, But then you throw another wrench in the chain and we show up to a mastermind and it's like, well, this guy's investing in land and he's crushing it. (laughs) Holy shit. Maybe I should be doing land. What am I missing here? And so, you know, the analogy of like if you try to catch five rabbits, you're going to end up catching zero. Like, you've got to catch one rabbit. Um, And so in my first year, like I said, I pressed all these buttons because I just needed to see what happened when I pressed them. I think a lot of people make the mistake of, one of my coaches calls it a soft offense. It means we want to lightly press on a couple things, on a bunch of, maybe even a bunch of things, to see which one gives, right? We're not going all in on multifamily. We're not going all in on, you know, creative deal structuring or land investing or flipping. It's like I wanted to just sort of gently press on all these things, see what happened. Through that process, I realized I don't like flips because they can go really well and they can also go really terribly. I do like novations because it doesn't uh, – so you just you, – you press all these buttons. You start figuring out what works and what doesn't. And then as the leader, you you have to bring clarity to the business and say, well, here's what we – are getting our, our most success from. Here's what we're going to allocate all of our resources to because I'm sure you know I don't have an unlimited I, I don't have an unlimited ad spend. Yeah. I don't have an unlimited time. Like I'm not I'm not the big behemoths in our market, the home vesters, the net worth, the new westerns who can outspend you any yeah. day of the week. You know, it felt like I was shooting nerf bullets a lot of times. And so that is the realization I had in year 2, which is you can't catch everything. Stop trying to be a master in everything. Not that I was doing that at first. It could look like that from the outside. But you sort of figure out, well, here's my little my niche. And I think a lot of people, especially because we're in a big market. I mean, Denver's a huge competitive market. Oh, yeah. But we're not, we're not alone in that. There's competitive markets all over the country. Every time I go somewhere else, they're complaining about how competitive their market is. Okay. So, you know, what can somebody that's new getting into this business because we've tried a bunch of things we've bounced around like i said we've gotten our teeth kicked in on flips and on wholesaling and spending a bunch of money and this is just part of the journey and it's fun i'm not saying this is as if it's a bad thing it's just fun i enjoy this stuff yeah but like what have you found is is your direction kind of going forward how are you differentiating in a competitor market a competitive market like this um and you know where where are you guys seeing that opportunity? Um, well, we're not we're not focusing on Denver. Um, there you go. But we're like outside of it. I mean, you said it a couple of nights ago when we were at dinner, and I was like, "Yeah, we're doing that. We're focusing on the out surrounding counties." Yep. Um, and I'm building relationships with 
the guys who are buying a lot of houses. Yeah. Um, and I'm finding out what they want. And then I'm targeting, picking up properties, like, specifically for them. Beautiful. And then if, you know, if we find something that's a good deal that they don't want, we have other avenues, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're kind of doing it on a larger scale. I don't need to do 30 flips a year. But if I flip two houses and keep them as rentals or short-term rentals, great. Yep. Um, and then it brings us cash flow, which is spectacular. Well, and you actually touched on something earlier that we talked about at our last Collective Genius call, which is the cash conversion cycle. Mm-hmm. What I found was... I needed a nice, healthy mix of like consistent cash flow that turned over. You know, the problem with flips is it's like you can be dead broke for the six months before oh, yeah. it closes. You know, yeah. there's just no cash coming in. Yep. There's cash going out. There's a lot of That's cash it. going out. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was hard for us. And what I call it, we just had really lumpy sales, mm-hmm. you know, in our first year. And so um, finding a way to smooth that out. Was, was a big challenge that I had. and um, But you also need those big bangers that can like yeah. reset everything. You know, oh, yeah. one, once or twice a year, you, you know, you get these big, big deals and you need those as well on your pipeline too. Cause they're, you know, nice, healthy mix at the both. But um, so in a competitive market, what you're doing is you're not, com- you're not directly competing in Denver. I think that's no. super smart. We don't spend any money in Denver anymore mm-hmm. because it's just, you're shooting nerf bullets. Yeah. Right. You if can't you- compete against net worth and new West. I mean, they're, they have an insane dispositions team. Yeah. They have really good processes and they have unlimited amount of funds, yeah. right? Like so they're going to outspend you. You're not going to win. And they're, they're doing it across all marketing strategies. Yeah. I mean, they're doing, they're getting on market. They're getting off market. I mean, like, that you're not going to compete against them. It's David and Goliath. Well, well and- you can compete. Well, right. But you just can't compete on price. Yeah. Stop trying to outspend these people. Yep. We have to bob when they're weaving. Yeah. And and I think we've we've kind of danced around this and we've said it multiple times. It all comes back to relationships. Yep. You're not going to beat me uh, if I can establish a relationship with that person. Yep. Right, and if it is most important about price, then of course I'm going to push them and just say, just take their price. Yeah. Here's some things you might want to look out for. Mm-hmm. We call that scorch the earth. Yep. Right? They might want oh, to get yeah. they might want to get a, a really long inspection. That typically means they're not buying it. Yeah. Right. They might come back to you and try to retrade. If that happens, call me. Yeah. Right? So you can lay these kind of things, and we talk all the time on our team about being okay being the second best option. Yeah. Because oftentimes that first option, they're over-promising, right? They're yep. over-promising, they're over-extending, and it's like, look, we're not going to do that. We're just going to position ourselves as like, if that deal blows up and we know that there's a, there's a pretty decent percentage of deals that fall out of contract, because a lot of these wholesalers will just say anything to lock it up, yep. um, and we're right there to pick it back up. Yep. So the point is, we don't try to compete on how much direct mail can I spend and, and, and Google ads and like how much cold callers can I get on this massive team? It, to me, it was just a cycle of, it doesn't matter. You're still shooting Nerf bullets. Yeah. So we go to the outer edges. We're in Jeffco. Yeah. That's where we do most of our stuff. Why? Because Arvada and Wheat Ridge are great yep. places to do short-term rentals. Yep. And they're great places for house hacks. We've got a great relationship with a house hacking team here. They're great properties to flip, although Arvada can have some foundation challenges. Point is, is like you gotta find a little niche. We still go after Denver, but it's all focused on our relationships, and we leverage our relationships with other agents and other wholesalers and things like this. And you know, sometimes we get direct to seller stuff, but again, they're not gonna. These competitors cannot compete with our ability to connect with our clients. Yep. Right. And we're counting on that. I'm sure you guys operate similarly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean like our, I mean, I, I guess it's our core value. We haven't actually like identified it as it, but like my first approach is like, I'm here to help you. Mm-hmm. Right. I was actually talking to a, uh, one of our sellers yesterday and like he was frustrating me. Right. And I had to hang up cause I just, I was like, I'm not approaching this the right way. Right. And I called him back and he was like, I hope you're not mad at me. And I was like, I'm not mad at you at all. I'm literally here to help you. I am representing you to all the buyers, right? And like, he was like, oh, okay, great. Um, so like, that's the approach that we take. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm step one is here to help you, right? And if I can help you by, you know, buying your house and selling it, great. If I can't, then I'm not going to try and do that. So you're being very transparent 
which I think is the right way. Yeah. With the seller on, uh, I may not be the one to buy your house, but I have a relationship with all the other investors in there, and I can help get a bunch of offers yep. for you, and then we can decide based on those offers that come in which one we want to take. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a good way to wholesale, right? That's the appropriate way to wholesale. Yep. What I don't like is people that go in there, and I'm sure you've seen this happen time and time again, where you're sitting in front of a seller and it's like, oh, they told me they can give me X. They told you they can give you X or they told you that they're going to shop it yeah. at X yeah. and bring you the best offers. That's a totally different conversation. Yep. You know, and it's like, what I don't understand is it's really not that hard to be just transparent about what's going on. Yep. Just be honest. Yep. If you, because if you're not honest, I've found that those deals are likely to fall out. Oh, for sure. So I don't necessarily try to tell the seller, hey, they're being dishonest. I just know that they are, and I use that scorch the earth strategy yep. to lay those landmines. Yep. So when they step on one, it's like, oh, well, Paul told me this might happen, yep. and you did it. Yep. And now I know what you're all about. And, hey, Paul, can you help me out? Like, yeah, of course. I yep. knew this would happen. Yeah. Um, so you guys are doing wholesale, very little fix and flip. Yep. Are there any other strategies that you're working on or trying to learn? Um, not in the immediate future. Yep. Um, get good at one thing, right? That's all I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to get really good at wholesaling yep. and have it be predictable, right? Like that's, that's something that you touched on about like you want to have consistent cash flow yep. or just have like con some consistency, right? Because like you said, flips are like up and down, up and down. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something that I'm focusing on right now. And like I'm focused on finding that through wholesaling, but I'm also like thinking of other avenues. And like if there's a something that I can do in the meantime while also wholesaling, I'm going to do it. But I'm, I'm mostly focused on like getting wholesaling, you know, to be consistent. Mm -hmm. um, because like having the up and down months is tough. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's... That is definitely on the forefront of my mind is just consistency. What's, what is on the minds of the sellers that you're meeting with? Are they because, – because we've got to be more conservative with our numbers now. Oh, yeah. Right? We're, we're coming in and you know, I don't like to use percentages because I think that's a, it's a cop-out for like comping a property and coming mm -hmm. up with an offer. Yeah. But let's just say earlier this year and last year we were locking them up at 80%. Of value, we could, yeah, and you could sell them to a hedge fund at ninety percent. You could sell them to another flipper at eighty four percent and still do well. I mean, and then of course you have those where you get them at seventy. Yep. Most of them we were getting below eighty. Let's just call it. Yeah. But that's not the case anymore. No, I mean flippers have to buy it at sixty right right now, and the guys who I have who are buying them as rentals, um, you know, they're at like seventy five, mm -hmm. right? Um. But it's – I'm having tough conversations with sellers right now mm -hmm. because their expectation – like they're not very – like they don't work in real estate, most yeah. of them, right? And they the ones, still know that their house down the street sold for 600000 and they're like, well, I want 600000 Yeah, and it's I – It's like had, that was three months ago. Exactly. And they just like don't understand that the market has changed like every month. Mm -hmm. So I'm starting all of my conversations off with that, right? I try to figure out – what are you looking like? What's your goal, right? Why do you? What's your motivation? Why are you trying to sell, right? If they're actually motivated to sell, then I continue the conversation. But if somebody just comes at me like, "Well, if you just just make me an offer, right, right," then it's like you're not. I can't help you, mm -hmm. right? You want to get over over market value, sure, right? So once I find out the motivation, if they're actually motivated, then I try to figure out like what their goals are. And then from there, I try and figure out, okay, well, where, like, where would you need to be to get rid of this house, right? Like, what, what, is, what do you want to get out of it? And that's where we kind of start. And if we can get a number out of them, great. And then we can work from there, right? And usually that number is like market in June. And it's like, okay. And then I start educating, right? I talk about what's going on in the market. One, we have seasonality. We're not in the best time of year to sell. Two, interest rates have gone up significantly. And because of interest rates going up, there's a lot of scarcity in the market and people are backing out. Mm -hmm. So there's not nearly as many buyers. Right. And prices are going down. 
And the most important thing I find out for them is I'm like, what is your timeline on selling your house, right? And a lot of people say, I'm not in a rush. And I was like, okay, well, what's, what's a rush to you? And if they say, I want to sell in the next year or six months, I'm like, okay, today is the second best time to sell your house, and yesterday was the best time because the market's not going back up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, we were talking about this yesterday. Like, interest rates could likely get up to 8 8.5% by the springtime. And, you know, spring is normally the best time to sell your house, but it's like we could likely – December could be better than, you know, April. Mm-hmm. We just don't know. Um, so I'm having those conversations with them, just trying to educate them. Right. And then once we have that education, you know, sometimes I'll even send them some comps and I like show them that I'm not just pulling this number out of nowhere. It's like, I'm, I'm actually like doing due diligence, doing analysis. Um, and sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but usually even if it doesn't go well, I'll get a call back. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll be like, if they're actually motivated, they'll be like, okay, Everything makes sense. Like, let's move forward. Yeah. Um, but it's just education. That's all it is. it is. Well, and, you know, I very much remember being in that spot where wholesaling or retail, those were my two options. Yeah. Right? And and it's like what what we found, and I was showing you my deal board over there, most of those are in-betweener deals. Yep. Because we had to figure out in a high market like Denver, um, there's not as much financial distress in yep. a market like Denver because we have so much equity mm-hmm. built up here. I mean, if these people bought a house in the last three years, they've got a lot of equity in that home. You know, so that that's a good thing, I guess, sometimes where they can trade equity for convenience, right? And we can get these wholesale deals and we do get wholesale deals. Um, but what I'm excited about showing you is how we've been doing novations. Oh, I'm excited about it too. <laughs> because it's this, I mean, I don't want to call it a magic bullet. It's not, Yeah. but it's a great way to pick up deals in between a wholesale and a retail deal. Well, it's a tool. It's, it's a, a tool, tool in your tool, tool belt. Yep, exactly. That's how we, exactly how we refer to it. It's like, well, if you're walking into a, I just, I don't wear tool belts, but I just imagine if I'm walking in somewhere and, you know, and I, I, I picture these, these wholesalers with a, just a hammer and they're just trying to hammer everything down. Like, there's a screw, there's a pipe, there's a, a board, and they're just whacking at it, yep. you know, everything. And every time, every now and then, they find a nail. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that was a good fit. Yeah. But they're trying to hammer everything into, you know, in because, because they're just not aware of how to execute on these deals. And yep. so what we found was when we just opened up creative deals, and, and creative, in my mind, encompasses really th- three or four things – First of all, you got to add retail to your to your repertoire. Yep. Because when you can walk in and you're just like, well, okay, well, let's just list it then. Yep. It's like, well, you'll pick deals up doing that. Um, of course, you don't want to be the one listing it. Sure. You can work with an agent. My wife does our listing, so I've got that, you know, lucky here. But sub two, not as popular in our market. No. But it, you know, we're having some conversations and we're trying to figure out, like, if we can put a couple of these together. Seller finance. And we're making a lot of progress with that. Are you really? We are. Um, we just had our sales uh, meeting this morning, and Philip was running through his deals. And it was like four out of the five of his top deals were seller finance deals. Really? Zero percent down, zero interest. And it has everything to do with dropping that deep anchor on wholesale. Where it's like, if I have to buy it in cash, this is what I can offer you. Mm-hmm. I And I... And I and I'm sorry that that's lower than what you want, but that's where I need to, to offer it if I want to buy it. Well, that won't work for me. Okay, well, let's list the house. Well, this, you know, it. Point is, is these seller finance deals where I can offer them full retail. Mm-hmm. Usually it's like 90%, 95%. Yeah. But in Denver, if I can control that property with 0% down and zero interest with a five year balloon. I mean, I can flip that house without a bank, without any money into the deal, right? And knowing that if I'm getting the as-is value of the house, you know, at maybe 90% of that value, if I go put in, you know, some work over the course of five years, that's that's kind of my yeah. plan is like over that five years, like we're going to see the market recover. Colorado's only had one down year 
negative growth year in real estate in the last 40 years. Yeah. So it's like – It's a pretty safe bet. I'm pretty confident over yeah. a five-year stretch we've, we're going to see um, and we'll force, we'll force value into the home by doing some renovations to it, of course. But, you know, those – and then, of course, novations that we've talked about. Yep. And the, the problem with novations that people run into is they don't know how to pitch it and they don't know how to use the contracts correctly. And I know that because we went in guns blazing and we screwed about four or five of them up before we figured out how to do it. Yeah. Right? So it has everything to do with how do you pitch it, how do you sell it. But, like, we'd probably take down one or one or – I'd say about one a month yeah. uh, doing that. You know, we're probably doing three deals a month on average, although we were closer to four and now it's going to slip back. The last couple of months we've been pretty low on our deal volume. But what's really worked are these in-between deals. Yeah. Right? So, you know, that's – and on top of that, I think, you know, I want to show you how to do these deals. And what I've also found and why we have you know, gotten along so well and collaborating, I think, is because the market is so big. It's huge. Everybody thinks, like, we're competing. I've never run into you. There's, there's no. two guys in, in Collective Genius that I met, and both of them are, are spending, like, 50, 60 grand a month, you know, plus yeah. on marketing. Never ran into them once. Like I've seen an ad that they that they ran, but like sitting in front of the homeowner, like we're not we're not competing, we're not competitors. No, that's just not how it works. But everybody thinks that is the case. the The more we can help each other do deals, the more deals are going to find us, yeah. right? Because people see us as people who can execute deals, and all boats rise with the rising tide. Yeah, compete with yourself, collaborate with others. That's right. That's the best way to do it. That's a great way to say that. Yeah, I like that. So, what are some other ways that people that might be listening to this could collaborate with people like us. Man, I haven't even thought about that. Um, I think just having discussions like this, um, you know, like talking, just talking shop, seeing what's going on. I mean, like talking with you, like I can now go home and be like, how can I add value for Paul? Mm -hmm. Right. And you can do the same for me. Right. Um, And I also think like listening to discussions like this and then like, like you said, like being thoughtful about like, hey, this is what Justin or Paul have going on and then reach out and be like, hey, I see that you're doing this, this and this. Let me help you with this thing. I'm good at this thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I think that's how people can collaborate. Just yep. add value. Figure out and, and don't ask how you can add value. Figure out how you can add value. Right. If somebody approaches me and is like. Like when we went to dinner and you realized I didn't know about novations and you're like, dude, I need to teach you about novations. I was like, hell yeah. Yeah. Like that's awesome. Right. So if somebody comes to me and and identifies a problem and like, hey, here's a solution. Like, okay, cool. Even if their solution doesn't work, it's like, I don't, I'm already like bought in. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's find a way that you can still help me. Like we can figure something out here. Um, Cause like we're busy. I mean, we're constantly focused on our businesses. Right. Mm -hmm. So if somebody comes in and is just asking for help or like asking us to tell them what we need help with, it's like that you just created another problem for me and I don't need any more of those. And it's like, I don't want to be rude, No, but, but that's, what's going on is you're, you're asking that I come up with something to tell you how you can help me. That's not really helping me. Yeah. That's like taking me away from the things that I was already doing. So I just find that, uh, maybe not everybody agrees with that. Mm -hmm. Um, but Going up to somebody and be like, tell me how I can help you. Yeah. Is like, well, I have to help you first, tell you what you can do, and then... Yeah. Anyways, so the point (laughs) of like, yeah, we had a conversation. We got to know each other. We built a relationship. I recognized, hey, I could probably help Justin by showing him how to do novations. Yeah. You could probably help me by coming on a podcast with me. Yeah. Right? And we exchanged value. That's how these relationships work. Yeah. Right? And so... You know, for anybody who's listening to this that wants to get into real estate or wants to learn how to network with other investors in the Denver market or in whatever your market you're in, first of all, go out and build relationships with people. Go engage in your local market, right? It is going to meetups. It is listening to Bigger Pockets podcasts. It's listening to, to podcasts that we run, right? Like, go engage in the marketplace. Be of someone of service and think what's in it for them. Right, find ways to add value and then go do that. Get around people who are thinking that way. That has been the, the key to 
you know, the small amount of success that I've had so far in real estate is just by recognizing that it's all about relationships. It's all about relationships. And if you're just starting out, if you come in thinking you're going to outspend your competitors like I did, I'm just going to I'm just going to spend more. Well, there's always someone who can spend more than you. Yep. You have to focus on your unique value and what you do really well, and it's okay to try a couple different things. But you've got to get out of that phase of like, okay, I press these buttons. If you're constantly trying to press a million buttons, you're going to get nowhere. It's okay to do that in the beginning in my mind to try to get a feel for like where is your niche? Where, what do you like? Do you like flips? Do you like wholesales better? Are you yep. more in development? Is it more in rentals? Everyone has preferences that need to be kind of, you know, and, and what you decide at the beginning is probably not going to be what it's like a year in, two years in, three years in yep. because you get more information and you're allowed to change your mind. Um, so I think the big keys that I took away from this were collaborate with people in your market, yep. build relationships with people and add value to people. And that flows back to you yep. and we're not going to outspend, right? So you've got to think, how can I find ways to like create these niches for myself, yep. right? And by doing that, creating that niche you're adding value to other investors that don't have that niche. Oh, yeah. Right? Hey, bring me these deals. I'll help you close them. So I don't know. That's that's kind of what I got out of this. How about you? Um, I'd say the same thing. And then also, like, get started. Um, you know, like you said, like, you're not going to know what you're good at and you're not going to know what you like at first. But you're not going to figure those things out unless you just start doing it, right? And, like, I thought I was going to love flipping. And Savannah thought she loved flipping, right? And then we started doing wholesaling. And Savannah was like, oh, I don't know about wholesaling. And I was like, let's do one deal. Yeah. And we did one deal. And she's like, we're done flipping. Yeah. And I'm like, I love talking to people. I love helping people, right? I didn't really feel like I added that value to, like, the world with flipping, right? But, like, with wholesaling, I actually feel like I'm adding value to somebody's life. Um, so I'm like, okay, I like this thing. But I wouldn't have known if I didn't start. I didn't try it, right? So push the buttons, and then when you, like, feel something with no resistance, like, go all in and focus on it. Mm -hmm. And then don't step out of that lane until you're, like, in cruise control. And then from there, you can be like, okay, next thing. Yeah, and the language that we use in the certainty operating system is reliability. Like, you've got to build reliability into your business. Otherwise, you're just – you have a job. Yeah. You just have a job. And we – you know, the, the, the idea of, like, let's just step – we'll step out and I'll be able to do other things. But you can't do that unless you've got a reliable, consistent, what I call boring business. Yeah. I want my real estate business to be boring. Same. <laughs> boring as in, like, it just runs. And it's predictable. It's predictable. Yeah. That's how I would explain it. It's yeah. predictable. It's reliable. It's consistent. And it's boring. Yep. Meaning like, you know, if I, I show up and I spend two hours on my business every day, I don't need to spend any more than that. Yep. That's reliable. Yep. You know, it's when you get, I, you know, oh, this day I spend two hours and then the next day we got a fire that I got to put out. So I spend eight hours doing it. And then yep. it's like, well, how can you predictively continue growing and building in your career if you don't know how much time you have? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the key. But um, anything else you want to add? I don't think so. This is awesome. This I really great. enjoyed it. Thanks yeah. for having me on. First podcast in the books, man, yeah, and man. in the new studio. So I thought it was good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, we'll see you next time.